started a couple weeks, a series in the beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount, known as the Beatitudes. Jesus took his disciples up into the hillside, and he began teaching them. This was um, the early teaching in his ministry. And really, this Sermon on the Mount lays the foundation for his whole kingdom, the teachings and understandings and ways. And he begins this by going through a series of eight different things that says, you are blessed, and in that he didn't necessarily mean what we sometimes considered blessed, meaning um, driving your favorite vehicle, living in the house of your dreams, having a bank account that is more than you can imagine what to do with or anything like that, but that you have a peace that rules in your heart, that you have a confidence that you're living your life by, that, that, you, that comes as a result of your relationship with God. And he says... When, when you have these characteristics in your life, God will produce these things in your life and you will be blessed um, beyond what we can imagine. But again, we're reminded God's ways are not our ways. He begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we saw that means that we, we come to the point where we realize we have nothing. We are bankrupt before God. We have nothing to offer him. And, and he says, the poor in spirit, theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. We'll, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven until we come to realize, I have nothing to offer for my forgiveness. I have nothing to offer God to gain his acceptance. I am totally full of the poverty of spirit. Then it says, blessed are they that mourn. And last week we saw that there are many things in life that are very, very difficult. Life is hard. And there are many people that mourn, but the mourning that he's talking about here is a mourning that brings us to cry out to God. It is a crying out to God. And when the hardships of life when the things that break our heart in this life and break God's heart are instruments that are used to drive us, to draw us to God, we'll find a great, great blessing there. And now we come to verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is an, an interesting attribute that he talks about here, and one that in order for us to, to fully understand it and, and gain the most from it, we're really going to have to overcome some of, our, um, some of our ideas about what meekness is. To the average person, um, we will say he is a very meek and mild-mannered individual. By that, our use of the term means he is, um, he is weak, he doesn't take a stand, um, he just kind of goes with whatever comes along. That is not the meekness that is spoken about here. 
the most prominent individuals in the Old Testament, the most prominent individual, you could argue various things, but I'll just say today, Moses is one of the most prominent individuals in the Old Testament. First five books of the Bible were written by Moses. He was called by God a very meek man. Now, Moses was instrumental in leading millions of Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. He confronted Pharaoh. He, you know the story of Moses. And, and yet he was called a very meek man. Without question, the most prominent man in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, Behold, I am meek and lowly of heart. So, two of the greatest leaders, and one, the greatest leader of all time, was identified biblically in the sense of of being a meek individual. And, as we said, Moses as a meek individual. We read throughout the Bible other instances that meekness is something to be desired. And, and we look at all this to, to try to cleanse our mind from a standpoint that meekness is, is akin to weakness. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, he shows us that meekness is to be desired. We are to walk in meekness. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 2, we are to show meekness to all people. Paul writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, he said, follow after meekness. And, and so he, he's saying this because he understands this, God will bless this. You will be used of God if you develop a, a meek spirit. In, in Colossians chapter 3, he again is writing to this church and they had some issues, as all of us as human beings have issues. And he said in Colossians 3, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. He's saying, put these things on. Kindness, humbleness of mind, and then he inserts meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So he's writing to this church and he encourages them to embrace meekness. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, Receive the word with all meekness of mind. So, Moses, a very meek man. Jesus Christ, I am meek and lowly of heart. We find throughout the Scriptures, it's commanded to us. It's commanded to us to put on meekness and receive the word with meekness and so on. So, as we've already said, we just want to quickly mention what meekness is not. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not cowardice. Um, afraid to take a stand and, and just don't know... Backing away from a challenge, backing away from a conflict, it's not that. And meekness is not being a 
easygoing, passionless doormat. I'm, I'm sure you've run into people. They're just easygoing. They, it's like nothing ever gets them excited. No, nothing ever gets them upset. And, and they just, they're just kind of there. You know what I'm saying? They, they're passionless. I mean, anything dead is passionless too. You see what I'm saying? Where there's life, there's passion. And, um, meekness doesn't mean you just, oh, whatever you want and just be a doormat. Oh, whatever you want, whatever you want. No. Those things are not the meekness that he's talking about here. Biblical meekness, literally the word that is used here, means controlled strength. Controlled strength. Uh, An example of this. There's, There's great strength. In a wild, unbroken horse. Controlled strength is when the horse's will is broken and it comes under the authority of the one that is riding it, that the one that is in charge of it, And it submits to the authority. There is great strength in that animal. But it is controlled, most of the time, by the one that broke it or by the ones that have broke it and then sold it to others and they follow the same prince. But it is strength under control. Okay, how does all that apply to us? God made every one of us very uniquely. And he made every one of us um, beautiful and designed to be used of him. And there is great potential. There is great strength. But it must be brought under the control of God. It must be brought into submission to God. And, And it is this great strength. That is, as a believer, he's talking to believers, the Spirit of God dwells within us, so we have this great power, and it is under the control of the Spirit. So, we'll explain a little more about the definition as we go through, how can I have meekness in my life? How can I have the strength and the power of God under the control of God? Number one, you must realize you cannot get meekness on your own. It's not something, okay, I just set out on my own. It is a fruit of the Spirit. That means it's something the Spirit of God produces in our life. It is, I come under the authority of the Spirit. It's, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who now lives in me. I'm not the boss in my life now. In order to have meekness, I am submitting to the Spirit of God. I understand this isn't something I can produce. It's not something I can stir up. By nature, we are controlling. We are impulsive. We are reactionary. We are self-centered. 
All of those things are what come naturally. And we manifest them in different ways. Our flesh resists any and every act or thought of submission to God. Our flesh always resists that. And, and we have to understand that, that our flesh does not want to be brought under control of the Spirit of God. But it is only as we submit to the Spirit of God that we'll develop a meekness of spirit. So it's understanding that um, we cannot produce meekness in and of ourselves. Secondly, as we said, submitting to the Spirit of God and and parallel with this is we must be yoked to Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is teaching, and in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come unto me, verse 28, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You are familiar with what a yoke is. It is a, it is a heavy wooden instrument that was used to bind together two animals that would then be hooked up to an instrument, a plow, for example, and together their power would be put together to pull the plow. In any yoking, there was the lead beast, the lead, the, the one that set the pace, the one that followed the commands that were given, And Jesus Christ is using this analogy, and he said, here you are, you're living your life, you're burdened, you're troubled, you're you're going through life, trying to protect all your interests and all these things, and, and it's killing you. And he says, come unto me and get in my yoke. Notice it's his yoke, my yoke. That's an act of submission, that we come and we yoke up with Christ. And we understand He is the lead. He sets the pace. He gives the direction. He is the lead. And He is my model. He is my strength. He is my hope. And we must yoke together with Christ. Again, the submission to the Spirit, the submission to Christ. A.W. Tozer once wrote, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's own estimate of his life, He knows he is as weak and as helpless as God has declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than the angels. In himself, he is nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. Notice, Notice the strength that comes. In myself, I am nothing. 
in God, I am everything. I am yoking together with God. And the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where did he get that confidence? It was no longer Paul running his life. He said, I am yoking together with Christ. And it is Christ that is leading me. It is Christ that is empowering me. And it is Christ that gives this spirit of meekness. We've already touched on it a little bit. But thirdly, it is a continually yielding to the spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And notice if you'd look in verse 11. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Notice verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Don't yield your members. Don't yield your mind. Don't yield your eyes. Don't yield your tongue. Don't yield your, your body, he says in Romans 12, as instruments to carry out the desires of the flesh, which are sin. He says, but yield yourself to God. God Here I am today. I want you to take my hands and use them for you. I want my mind to think your thoughts. I want you to be in control of my life. I am yielding this to you. Yield to the Spirit. Number four, yield your rights and expectations to God. Yield your rights and expectations to God. You say, What do you mean, yield your rights? Here's here's a good dash light that flashes in your life that helps you recognize rights that you haven't yielded to God. Anger is that dash light. Usually what we get angry about are rights that we think we deserve and they're being denied to us. I think it ought to, things ought to go well today. And no, I think I ought to be respected. No, it was denied to me. We could go, we don't have time this morning to go over these, but we get all these rights that we think we deserve, and when they're denied to us, then we labor and are heavy laden and we become angry. You understand Christ is our example in this whole realm of meekness. He gave up the rights to the wealth of heaven to come to this earth. He gave up the rights to be in control of his own life when he was took upon himself the form of a servant when he came to this earth. He gave up his rights to his own reputation. Here he is, God, in the flesh. And they called him the devil, and they said he's of Beelzebub, and and said he's just a man, and so on. He gave up the right to his own reputation. 
All throughout, he gave up his rights. And we are called, in order to have a spirit of meekness, it's understanding, you know what? If I realized, if I really got my rights, I would realize I'd be separated from God for all eternity. And so, God, I give up to you. Whatever you give to me today, whatever um, my expectations, I give to you. And that means that we accept what God gives us. Accept the circumstances as well as the provisions. That doesn't mean that you just sit idly by and do nothing. It doesn't mean, well, I just accept whatever God gives me. God didn't get, no, you've already submitted to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will say, hey, I've given you a good body. This is a work I want you to do. Go do the work. And you go do the work, and someone else does the work similar, and God really gives them a lot, but he doesn't give you as much. A meek spirit accepts, God, you gave me what you know I needed. It is not saying, I don't see why they're getting more than I'm getting. In fact, I work harder than they work. And I'm not getting more. And look at today this broke down and that broke down and No. God I'm I'm giving up to you and the circumstances that come. Jonathan Edwards, considered by many to be one of the greatest theologians America has ever produced, at one point in his career. He was dismissed from the church he was pastoring by a vote of 222 to 32. I mean, that's overwhelming. He was voted out of his church because he insisted that only saved people should take communion. Many an individual would have been destroyed by such a calamity, but one of his friends remarked about it. His joy in God was beyond the reach of his enemies. That's what meekness does for you. He gave up his rights. I I should have the right to speak the truth. I should have the right. I didn't do anything to offend them. I should have the right to this. But, God, if this is what you're giving me, heir to take as from a father's hand. God, if this is what you've given me, I'm going to use it for your honor and glory. We spend too much time complaining and asking why. Complaining that we don't have that and complaining this didn't go right and complaining and asking, why did this happen? God, a meek spirit. Think of it. Moses, all that he did and God said to him, no, you cannot enter the promised land. And, and Moses accepted the workings of God in his life. He didn't go on and become bitter and angry about it. He accepted what God, what God gave him. And you may be saying, you know what, but there are some things that just are not right. 
That's where you trust God to make things right. It says of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he was reviled, but he did not revile again. And he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. In this world, there are things that are just not right. And you can look and you can blame people, but God allowed it to come into your life. And you can say, that isn't right. But those of a meek spirit say, you know what? God's going to take care of it. I need to do what's right, even if nobody else does. That's a meek spirit. And a meek spirit is understanding 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 where it says um, that the Lord will... Don't you go judging things before the time, but the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then every man will have that which is right in the sight of the Lord. A meek spirit says, you know what? I could jump up and holler. I could scream and shout. But God's going to take care of it. Understanding that God will make things right. A meek spirit doesn't mean that we don't stand up. A meek spirit will stand up when the Spirit of God prompts us to. It's all under the control of the Spirit of God, yoked together with Christ. And there will be times that He will lead us in boldness to take a stand. There will be other times that He'll lead us to just say, you know what, God will take care of that. But in all of those times, there will be a peace that rules. There won't be a boldness that is motivated by anger and personal revenge and personal motivate no it won't be that there'll be a boldness that is peaceful and confident and strong abraham lincoln knew that he was not a handsome man when told that someone had called him two-faced he said if i were two-faced do you think i'd be wearing this one But Lincoln never let his appearance bother him. Other people, friends and foes alike, used it to insult and attack him. And when he was practicing law, a fellow lawyer often called him gorilla in public debates in court. And... No man was more insulted for his looks than Abraham Lincoln. But the great American president found this understandable and never let such criticism affect his feelings about other people. As a lawyer, the man that called him a gorilla, Edward Stanton, did it numerous times. But when Lincoln became president, he asked Stanton to be on his cabinet as the Secretary of War. Lincoln's friends objected. They said, how can you ever forgive him for ridiculing you and mocking you? And when, when Lincoln was pressed for an answer, they, he said, I understand that 
Um, there are other people eligible for the post. And I understand that he has bitterly mocked me and cruelly insulted me, but Lincoln said, I chose Stanton simply because <clears throat> he is the best man for the job. It's one of the reasons that Lincoln is praised for his character. That's a spirit of meekness. It's an attitude, God will take care of him. God will deal with that. He is the best man for the job, and I'm not going to hold personal bitternesses. I'm not going to hold personal grudges. That's a spirit of meekness. <clears throat> we, we oftentimes fail to comprehend the peace that comes in knowing this is what God wanted me to do, and I can trust him for the results. To have meekness, then we rejoice in the reward. Truly happy will such be when they walk in a spirit of meekness, contrasted with anger and harshness and bitterness. The meek, however poor in this world, will have more comfort in their life than any other people because they're in the presence and the center of God's will. And there is an overriding peace. I did what God wanted by God's power for God's glory, and I'll trust him for the results. And the term that he uses <clears throat> is an expression, they shall inherit the earth. Expressions to be a proverbial one among the Jews Indicative of consummate bliss. We'll look some more tonight at um, a psalm that really provides a portrait of meekness. But um, it was God promising Abraham that his posterity would eventually possess the land in which he was journeying and he would know the fullness of God's blessing. It, it, comes down, it comes down to this. We're given our life, and, and we are born into this world with a desire to run our life and control our life. But all it leads to is a burden, a heaviness, an anger, because everything in our life, we either see it as attacking. Oh, no, this guy's coming. Come here, man. Oh, oh, he's attacking. Oh, wait, is he for me? Oh, wait, maybe. Is he for me? So he's for me. He's, he's building my kingdom, okay? But then something happens, and it's, he's not building my kingdom. See, my kingdom is me. He's not building my kingdom. So we stiff-arm him and put him out of our life. And do you understand what a miserable life that is? A miserable life. All our life we're going to, oh, wait, somebody else is over here. No, are you for me? You're for me? Okay. He's for me. But you know what? You've seen it all your life. There's people for you, then they turn there against you, right? You don't agree with me. You don't agree with me. And we got all these things. And so what happens? We end up leading a very small life, don't we? We end up stiff-arming. Oh, wait, you're getting a little close here. You get it. 
I'm building, we never verbalize it, we never say it, but we're building our kingdom. You know what? Go ahead and sit down. When I give this kingdom to God and say, God, you're the one that gave me this life. You're the one that designed it. God, I give it to you. And I let him run it. And God says, hey, I want you to go minister to this person. And I say, he's really a rascal. I mean, he's not worthy of it. I don't do that. Here, Remember the account in Acts chapter 9? God said to Ananias, go to Saul. Saul, he's the one killing people. There's no... Go. Ananias went because Ananias had a meek spirit. He'd submitted to God. So it doesn't matter. So I go to minister to this one that's a rascal. I'm going and doing it, and I don't have expectations. Oh, I get, I think something great's going to happen when I minister. No, I've given up those expectations. All God's asked me to do is minister to him. I leave my expectations to God. And God says, here, I want you to go minister to this person. And I go and minister. Or whatever it is. So God says, here, I want you to go to work. And I go to work, and this is the guy I'm working with. And this isn't true this way. This isn't this way it is. But you guys work with some that are lazy slouches at work. And you think, I am sick and tired of carrying the load for him. I had one guy that told his um, fellow workers, he said, you're going to be my pallbearers when I die. I've carried you all my life. You're going to carry me. True story, okay? But you know what? It doesn't matter what he does. I still need to do what's right. But we get angry. Oh, man, I'm going to, I'm going to put him in it. God will take care of him. You can't control him. And he can't control you unless you let him. A meek spirit. And you know what people will say? How do you keep a good attitude at work? Oh, I'm just a wonderful... No, there's no way I can keep this attitude except the Spirit of God. And whatever comes into our life... So here comes a guy into your life and he blesses you and he's really kind and and you think, man, what a great guy. But something happens and he's gone from your life. God, why did you take him? They were, he was my best friend and man, he helped me and, and was such a blessing. God, why? Meekness accepts it from the Father's hand and said, God, thank you for leading that wonderful guy in my life. What a blessing he was. Help me to be a blessing to others as he was to me. Do you understand? It takes, it takes the, Anxiety, it takes the frustration, it takes the guarding our life and building our kingdom. It, a meekness of spirit. God, I trust you to do what is best. Heavenly Father, I pray that we really would come to trust you 
in every area of our life and that it would be manifested, whether we call it meekness or not, but that it would bear the fruits of meekness. Lord, I don't know what rights even today your spirit may have have pinpointed in individuals' lives that they need to give up. Lord, I pray today there'd be believers that would surrender their rights and expectations to you. I pray that as as believers, every one of us would submit to your spirit and say, God, I've been running my life, and I need you to run it. That we would yoke up with Christ. Lord, I pray that we would then begin to know the peace and the blessedness that only you can give. I pray for individuals that may be going through some times of injustice and, and things that just aren't right. Lord, help them to see that someday you will make all things right. And I pray that it then would be manifested in their spirit, in their countenance, in their speech. Lord, I pray for individuals here today that have never given you control of their life, never have called upon you for the forgiveness of sins as we sang earlier today. Lord, they've never come to seek your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I pray today that they would call upon you. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed,